0: This has got a cup holder and everything. You guys are high tech. Man, you guys are, got it going on. But I am uh, so honored to be here with you this morning and I appreciate your pastor so much for, you know, having the confidence to allow me to come while they're not here. And uh, being a pastor for uh, over 20 years, I understand just how uh, important it is to, to have people you can trust and uh, depend on to, to carry on the work and uh, know that everything's in, in good hands. And obviously, this church is in good hands. Uh, the Spirit of God is in this place in such a real, tangible way. The heart of God's being manifested, I, I feel, in my spirit, that, that, that God's going to reveal a, a part of His heart to us this morning that, that maybe we've not yet experienced. You know, you know, you know I, I ask simple questions. And, you know, one of the things that. Um, uh, questions that I ask, I, I ask the Lord, you know, you read the scripture where it says the angels of the Lord, they fly around the throne of God and they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, and their song never changes. You know, and you sit here and you think, how can they just sing that same song forever and forever and not get tired of it? But, you know, the Lord showed me one time, he said, you know, the reason they can sing holy, holy, holy throughout all of eternity in their song, Not Change, is because every time they make a lap around the throne, they see a different side of me that they've yet to see. And that's what God wants for us to experience. But again, it, it is an honor to, to, to be here. I want to give you a little bit of an update on what's been, what's been going on. I just got back from Mexico uh, a couple of weeks ago and I had an incredible, incredible uh, trip there. We did two pastor's conferences. And um, we, we did leadership training and ministering to some churches. But you know, one of the churches that we, we went to uh, was in the area of Chamula, And uh, this is a, is a very remote area. It, it's uh, it got its own indigenous people. The, the people that, that are there, they speak their own indigenous language. I mean, I'll butcher the language because I don't speak very good English myself. But it's called Cecile. And, and these people have experienced such extreme persecution. You know, from 1970 all the way up to around the year 2000, uh, these people were, were hunted down, Christians were hunted down, the, the, the government, I hesitate to say this, but uh, th- is this live right now? Okay, because I don't want to say too much because, you know, anyways, but uh, the government would pay people to go and seek these Christians out in order to kill them. And so they were severely persecuted, and once they found out they couldn't kill all of them, they drove them out into exile, and they took some heavy equipment and bulldozed their, their church down. And the way this church got started, uh, the pastor, his, his grandfather started this church that I, that I spoke at, and uh, they shot him three times in the stomach, but he survived. And, you know, after he was healed up, he, he went back carrying on uh, the, the work God had called him to, And he prayed for for people that were sick and people were getting miraculously healed. And, you know, that's how the church started. And uh, once these people began to to grow and multiply, more and more of them uh, became Christians, they went back to the the local government there and demanded that they give their land back and to, to build their church. And the Mexican government forced the local government to build their church back brand new twice as big as it was before. And I preached there on that Sunday morning. Amen. You can clap on that. I preached there on that Sunday morning and those folks they walked four hours to be there. You talk about humbling. And God did some really special things on this particular trip. You know, we we did a pastors and leaders conference. And you know, you just you never know what people are carrying. Everybody's carrying a load. You know, in every role that's here, somebody's carrying some kind of a load that you don't even know they're carrying. But uh, we, were, we were ministering to some pastors and their wives and, and church leaders. And in the middle of the message, the Holy Spirit just came in such a, a, a powerful, supernatural way and began to minister to these folks. And uh, so I I cut my message short, and we opened up the altar to pray for people. And and the entire altar was full of people. There was no more room in the altar. And they were lined up down each aisle of, of, of the church on their hands and knees, on their face, weeping and crying. Now, I have seen people come forward and weep and cry before, but I have never seen an entire altar soaked with the tears of people. I mean, I cannot unsee that in my mind. I mean, they got up, and you could see the puddles of tears that were, that were there. And so I thought, my goodness, I've never experienced anything like that. But it was, it was an incredible trip, and i was so thankful for that. Our, our main focus, though, is, is what we do with CTMF, which is the ministry that I, I lead, which was founded by Rick and is We have a major emphasis on church planting, and i got one report I want to give you, then I'll be quiet and, and get to the Word, but... Uh, this church is a very uh, special church to me and to, to Rick and his family uh, because you've been partners with CTMF for many, many years. And, and it's, it's your generosity that allows the work to be done. And in this particular area, it's in the most remote area that, that our church planners have been in, in South Sudan. It's so remote that there's no roads there. There's no running water. There's no bathrooms. There are no homes. There's no hospitals. Uh, there's not, not even access road, so our church planters rode a motorcycle into this area and uh, the people are very primitive. Uh, they're hunter-gatherers, many of them don't wear clothes. And so our church planters reached into this area and it's just devastated by war and poverty and uh, famine. So many people are sick with uh, waterborne diseases because they don't have clean drinking water there. But our church planners arrived there uh, toward the, the end of March. And I just got a report back. I think I may have shared this with George. But I got a report back that in the last month, 627 people have given their lives to Jesus as a result of that. Now, now when I say uh, giving their lives to Jesus, I'm talking about reaching people who have never heard the gospel before. Can you imagine it's such a beautiful thing, and, and it's your generosity, it's your giving that, that actually makes that happen, and so we're we're so thankful for you, but uh, again, it's an honor to be here. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter number four. I, I want to share something that is very personal with me, because what I want to share is, is not just... A, uh, a message that I've learned, but a message that I've lived. And Father's Day carries a lot of uh, different feelings and emotions for, for different people because some of us, our fathers are not here. Some of us, our, our fathers were, were uh, not involved in their lives. Some of us have had uh, experienced abuse at home. And, you know, the devil works overtime to try to defile the term father. And it's important that we have a proper perspective uh, in terms of being able to uh, view God as our Father. Now, we can theologically understand and relate to the fact that God is our Father, right? We can say those words, our Father. But it's one thing to know this theologically. It's another thing to know it experientially. You know, It's one thing to acknowledge God as your Father. It's another thing to live out the spirit of sonship in which we were born into the kingdom for And so just because we get saved and just because our sins are forgiven doesn't mean that we have the level of security and acceptance and affirmation that's universal toward mankind around the world. It's a need that all of us have. It doesn't matter if you want to acknowledge it or not, but we have universal needs that were designed by the intelligent designer who just so happens to be our father for the purpose of leading us back to him. Now, the devil knows that God uses those things, that, that he's created us with those universal needs. And so what he's going to try to do is that he's going to try to distort and pervert and distract us from walking in all of that God has prepared for us. And so we go through things in life, we get wounded, we get hurt. You're not getting off the planet without getting devastated. Uh, but when, when you were talking specifically about a father wound, the devil will exploit that any possible way he can and get you to pursue something else other than God. Satan will offer you counterfeit affections. And the problem is when you're hurting, everything that, is, uh, that you experience in life is filtered through that pain. It's like a stained glass. Even though you can see the light, it, it turns it a different shade. A different shade of whatever color that's on that glass. And so Satan is going to do everything that he can to wound us so deeply that we're not able to not just understand or recognize and receive God theologically, but actually walk in sonship. So that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes, the the father wound. Malachi chapter number 4. If you're there, say amen. Now this is very important because this is the last book of the Old Testament. And I want to read the very last two verses in the last chapter of the Old Testament. And last words are important. These are the last words that God is going to speak before there is 400 years of silence. So I think it's important for us to not just look at what he's saying, but see if we can see what's happening in our world today from what Scripture has already provided us. And here's what we're going to read. Let's read verses 4 and verse 5 if you're there, say amen. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. Look at that last verse, the last phrase of verse 6. Lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. I've been around the world and I can honestly tell you the curse of our world is fatherlessness. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is so tangible in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would give us such grace today that we could receive your word in fullness. Lord, that we'd be able to take our mask off and tear down walls and whatever it is that stand in the way that are hindrances and stumbling blocks and weights and, 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 and things that have distracted us from walking and all that you have called us to walk in because of what you've provided. I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that understand and wills to obey. We open our soul to you, God. Create a safe place, a safe atmosphere where we can be who we really are in your presence, and then be changed by being in your presence. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. When God created man, he designed both men and women to fulfill a specific function. And when we're talking about men, we're we're talking about the different qualities and characteristics that God used to design both men and women to fulfill and accomplish this specific purpose as you read the scripture you can find over and over again that when God created man he had a purpose in mind he had a particular and specific purpose in mind and that purpose is that men would become fathers now every adult male is meant to be the father be a father It doesn't matter if you're a biological father, if you are a stepfather, if you are a spiritual father, or if you are a father figure, God created you to be a dad. In other words, dad is your destiny. Now, when men don't rise up and fulfill the role and the purpose that God intended for them in terms of being a father, abuse and neglect takes place, and it's so catastrophic that the world is not able to recover from that unless... God raises up people whose hearts are turned to the children, and the children's hearts turn back to their fathers. The prophet Malachi said this, he said that if we don't receive these relationships, if we don't have these healthy relationships, if fathers don't fulfill their roles, and if children don't fulfill their roles, then then the reality will be that the world will be struck with the curse. These are the last words of the Old Testament before 400 years of silence. And when you Uh, Go on over to the New New Testament. You find that a man by the name of Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father. He's in the temple and he's praying and he's seeking God. An angel appears to him and he speaks specifically about a need in his life. See, his wife Elizabeth was barren. And and so an angel appeared to Zacharias and said, Your wife who is barren is going to have a son. But because of his unbelief, the Bible says he couldn't receive what the angel was saying and he was struck and was mute from that day until the child was born. Uh, That's significant for us because until we are able to receive father-son relationships... Until we are as fathers in our rightful place and role in the lives of our children and those who do not have fathers, then we are not going to have a voice in the world. He was struck mute because he couldn't receive what this angel was giving him in terms of the message. And the Bible said that John the Baptist would have the spirit of Elijah upon him. Why is that important? Why didn't he say that the spirit of Moses would be upon him? That that would be a good that would be a, 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 a good spirit to be upon him, right? Why didn't you say the spirit of David upon him? You know, that would be a good one. Why specifically Elijah? Because in the Old Testament, Elijah is the only prophet in the Old Testament that raised up a spiritual son to succeed him in the ministry. Now, all of Israel could recognize that Elijah was a prophet. And so when you recognize who that person is, whether that person is a prophet, a preacher, a teacher, an apostle, whatever that may be, you're able to receive the reward that that person brings in terms of the gifting that's in their life. But when Elisha looked at Elijah, he didn't just see a prophet, he saw a father. And when Elijah was taken off into the air on a chair to fire, he cries out to Elijah. He doesn't say, my prophet, my prophet. He says, my father my father and what's the significance of that the bible says that elijah's mantle dropped and elisha received a double portion of the of the prophet's anointing upon his life and he did twice as many miracles as elijah did listen i want you to know the greatest miracle in elijah's life was not a miracle the greatest miracle in elijah's life was his son elisha who followed him in the work of the ministry now, when you look at the last miracle that Elisha fulfills, or the last miracle that Elisha performs, it actually takes place after he's dead. There's a war going on. The prophet is buried in a grave, and the, the dead soldiers thrown upon the grave, into the grave, and the power that was in the prophet's bones resurrected him and raised the dead. Now, a lot of us would... Would shout and rejoice and praise God and you know you know headbang and throw her bobby pins out and you know get all excited, but I I submit to you that's one of the greatest tragedies in the entire Old Testament. Why? Because. What was Elijah's greatest miracle? It wasn't a miracle. It was his son. And he released everything that was on the inside of him into the next generation, into a spiritual son who was able to do twice as much as he was able to do. But Elisha did not raise up a spiritual son and he died with everything that had been imparted into him still on the inside of him and now they had to start all back over again and that's what's happening in the church today. Because we don't think generationally because we don't see that we have a role to raise up the next generation whether they are biological children or spiritual children regardless we have to have a heart for the next generation and if we fail to have that kind of a heart we'll have to start back over in every succeeding generation so every man is intended to be a father. Dad is your destiny. And I'm convinced that the average man, or most men within the church, do not have an idea of just how influential their role is as a father in the life of their child. Over 20 million children in the United States will go home every night without the physical presence of a father in their life. Millions more will go to a home where their father is physically present but is mentally and emotionally absent. Both are equally as bad. And the problem is sometimes we think that we're doing the best that we can do simply because we put a roof over our family's head and we are visible inside the home. The truth is that's a tragic mistake and a great error that we will make And their children will suffer the consequences as a result of that. Now, I'll give you some statistics here concerning fatherless children. Now, now look at this 71% of all high school dropouts live in a home where there is no father present. 71% of all pregnant teenagers. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders. 90% 90% of all homeless or runaway children all come from fatherless homes. 72.2% of the U.S. population considers fatherlessness the most significant family and social problem in America. And it's very easy for us to see that that is 100% true. The question is, are we going to be proactive and step into those roles because you know what, if we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. So let me ask you, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Never underestimate the influence that your life has on a child. Now, let me give you five different father wounds that all of us are going to at least experience at some time or another. I'm not saying that if you experience these, that you walk around with a gaping hole in your heart, desperately looking for the love and affection of a father. But you know what? Sometimes the pain that you experience in your life is so devastating that it buries itself into the human conscious, such, so much so that, that we don't recognize that it's there, but it is affecting every area of our lives. So, let's look at these for, for a moment. Number one. The first father is what I call the performance-oriented father. Now, this man has genuinely good intentions. You know, his desire is to see his children reach their full potential. He has high standards set for his children. And at times, there's unrealistic expectations. Now, while having good intentions and good expectations and high standards are good for our children when it's not properly balanced with a large amount of affection or verbal affirmation, sooner or later this child gets to the point to where they start believing there's nothing I can do to make this man happy. You know, it's like the child that makes four A's and one B. You know, the first time that the child brings home four A's and one B, you know, the, you know, the father says, you know what, you did a great job. You did so good. I'm so proud of you. But you know what? If you tried just a little bit harder, then I believe you can make all A's. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. But what if he comes back the next time he gets his report card, and he has four A's and one B. And his dad looks at him and says, you know what? That's so good. I'm so proud of you. But you know what? I believe if you tried a little bit harder, I believe you can make all A's. But what if that happens time after time after time in 2nd grade and 3rd grade and 4th grade and 5th grade and the only thing this child is able to hear at that point is that I am, it's impossible for me to do good enough to make this man happy. Good intentions are not enough. You've heard the saying, hell is full of... People that had good intentions, right? So, performance-oriented thought. And you know what? That kind of culture is in our churches, especially our Pentecostal churches. Everything is, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have passion. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a fire on the inside of us, but everything is so performance oriented that if we make one mistake or if we're not as good of a singer or musician or preacher or teacher or or, uh, somebody that works with children if we're not as good as everybody else we still, as we try our best feel like we're a loser. Now I'd like to preach this but I can't. I'm just wanting to talk through it because I know it's pretty intense. But I don't know about you but I never felt like I had it. You know I, I never thought or felt that I was special. When I compared myself to other people, I was never as good as they were. And that causes you to live a life, and, and causes you to, to live life in such a way that you eventually come to the point and say, what's the use? I'm never going to reach this level of excellence or, or quality or anointing. And you know what? I'm always going to be looked down at as a second-rate Christian compared to them. I guarantee you there's people in this church this morning that feel exactly like that. The good news is, God wants to minister to you. God has got a word for you. Listen, pastors are the world's worst. Pastors are the world's worst. You know 70% of pastors don't have one person they call a close personal friend. So when they're struggling, they're not allowed to share their struggles with other people for fear of judgment. And if good things are happening in their churches, they can't chat with anyone because other insecure pastors think they're bragging. So it's a very lonely, isolated state that you find yourself in. And it doesn't matter if you are in the back row or if you're standing here in the pulpit preaching. We all have to experience and overcome those things. But first thing we have to acknowledge, you know what, it's there. I did not even know I had a father wound until after I got married. And I'll explain more of that just in a moment. Let's go to the second one. The second one is what I call the passive father. Now, the passive father is in the home, and that's good. But it's not good enough. A passive father is in the home, but he's not actively involved in their child's life. He's a good man. He provides for his family. He usually thinks he's doing the best that he can. But most of the time, he's either too busy, too tired, or too involved to be a part of his child's life. And he's so emotionally disconnected that he struggles to communicate and express his feelings toward his children. Now, I know that most men are trying to do the best that they can. But we have to learn how to develop skills to be better fathers. Did you know that an unhugged child is a rejected child, you were created for hugs. Now, I wasn't raised in an affectionate home. Uh, I've never hugged my brothers or sisters. My sisters I have, but my my brothers growing up, we never hugged each other. My mom maybe told me she loved me like maybe three times. But I wasn't devastated by that. But I I thought that was just normal, what everybody else, you know, that's that's what everybody else's home is like. And then when I got saved, I went to this church. It's the only church I've ever been a part of except the one that I pastored. And they were the hugginest people I have ever seen in my life. And listen, for a non-hugger like myself, that was weird. I remember the first man hug I got. We didn't do that in our house. I mean, you know, the pastor hugged me out like, oh, dude, man, get off me. I mean, how, how messed up is that? How dysfunctional is that? Why would that even make me feel awkward? Because it challenges the dysfunction I lived my life in for many, many years. And I want to encourage you to challenge your own dysfunction. We all have a history. We all have skeletons in the closet. We all have the past, but the past was never intended to be a destination just to stop along the journey. The passive father. Here's the third one. The third one is the authoritarian father. This father is very legalistic. He's very strict. He's always going to be the boss. He has to be the one in charge. And if you don't do what he says, you are going to pay the price. Now, my mother was a very strict Authoritarian person in my life. True story. I failed every class except PE in the sixth grade, two six weeks in a row. And my mom's old school. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be, uh, you know, stick to your laurels and you know have your values and know means no the first time. And I'm not saying. I'm just talking about how this can become abusive or neglecting. You understand what I'm saying, right? So I failed everything. For like two, six weeks in a row. And my mom goes out and has a pastor or a, a, a teacher parent conference with my sixth grade teacher. And she goes up to him and says to him, Does Donald have some kind of learning disability or something? Why is he making such bad grades? He said, There's nothing wrong with Donald. He just talks too much. I can't get him to shut up. She goes, I'll take care of that. So my mom comes home after this meeting and says, Donald, okay teacher told me what you were doing. You are talking too much. I'm going to give you six weeks to get your grades up. If you don't, I'm going to beat you to death. (laughs) That was not a threat. She was not threatening me. That was a promise that you could take to the bank. Well, six weeks is a long time for a sixth grader to remember that promise. So I failed everything again. I'm riding home on the school bus. I am sobbing. She's going to kill me. She's going to And sure enough, she killed me and made me get up and walk it off. She killed me twice. She wanted them beat you till you cry, beat you for crying. talk to you the whole time. Listen, I've said this in front of her in in, in my church. She wanted to go, why do you make me do this to you? And God is my witness. After she got done whipping me the first time, she's like this. Why do you make me do this to you? Why do you make me do this? She goes upstairs and lays down and rests <laughs> after 15 minutes comes back downstairs again beats that's the second time I got killed I, you thought I was joking I'm putting on she whipped me again and long story short after that I graduated the top 10 in my class got a high school diploma college degree I'm not talking about that kind of authoritarian stuff sometimes I never got a whipping that I didn't deserve I have to throw some jokes in there because this is an intense message, right? (laughs) You find i I'm okay, I'm okay. But this is such an important message because it can shape the outcome of your life and you not even be aware of it. Most of the time, people that live with an authoritative father, if there's not a proper balance of love and affection being shown, that person will walk around feeling condemned and worthless because there's no social interaction, no emotional bonding there that communicates love in any way. Just laying the law down. I'm not saying that that's not important in a parenting. I'm just saying that can't be everything you do. If the only time your child hears you uh, correct them is when you're correcting them or whipping them or disciplining them. If it's not balanced with love, that child is going to experience being wounded. Here's the next one. The next one is the absentee father. Now, this type of father has never been there for their children. And whether it's a divorce or death or abandonment, regardless of what that is, this father's never been a part of their child's life. Now, sometimes people die. And, and, you know, they can't be a part of their children's lives. Does that mean that they're a bad father? No, it does mean, though, that if there's not somebody else to step in and play a father figure role in that child's life, they will develop, ultimately develop, a father wound. Why? Because the Bible says first the natural, then the spiritual. You know, if if we've not experienced that inside of our own home, and I'm saying I never experienced that in my home, uh, I I experienced the the, uh, unconditional love among people within the church, and it took me a while to actually make an adjustment to, to be able to receive that. And, not, and it not be such a weird thing. But dads are destined to not just be in the home, but involved in their children's lives. And passivity is killing the church. Passivity is killing the home. Passivity is not from the devil. Passivity is the devil. And so we have to challenge. If we're being very passive and not involved in our children's lives we can end up wounding them just because there's a void that's there. Now, here's the last one. The last one is the abusive father. Now, it's self-explanatory. This father uh, is verbally, physically, uh, emotionally, mentally abusive. And when you experience that kind of trauma from your father or somebody that is in a father figure role in your life, It it takes God for a person to be healed from something that that's devastating. And and the reason that's true is because the people that can hurt us the most are those that we have the highest expectations of. It's not natural for a father to be able to abuse a child. A father is supposed to be a loving man, a correcting man, a providing man an involved man, an active man, that, that, that's his role, but, but when there's abuse that takes place, it's so mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes even physically handicapping that they do not know how to function in a normal, healthy home, and as a result of that, if we have father wounds in our lives, and so this message applies not just to the men, but women as well, because maybe you experienced that in your own home. But if that's not healed up, the greatest danger is that it can be reciprocated or passed down or become a generational curse in the life of your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children. It can become generational. So that's the reality of the world we live in now I mentioned this earlier I just got three things I want to share with you I'll wrap it up it's one thing to know God is your father theologically it's another thing to know that experientially we can pray God is our father but did you know that the devil is a father too he's the father of lies and statistics tell us that we hear somewhere between 10 and 200 lies every single day Now, when you're hurt, the problem is, if we're not healed from that, it's very easy to allow the truth to be distorted in such a way that we develop wrong ideas of who God is, who others are, and who we are ourselves. So important that we get healed from this because we will not be able to properly relate to people the way that we should and the way God intended for us to relate to people because... We don't know how. And the truth is, the reason it's reproduced is because hurting people hurt people, and they're easily hurt by people. And so when we're hurt, we, we hear something, but we receive something totally different. You understand what I'm saying? You know, we, we, it, it's filtered through that pain, and pain turns discernment into suspicion. Somebody's always out to get us. This is too good to be true. The devil's lied to some of you. And the problem is, a lie doesn't have any power in your life until you believe it. But when you start believing a lie that the devil's told you, if you don't get free from it, you will embrace that fully and begin to embrace this false self-image of who you are and who God is. Nothing is more damaging, devastating to the human soul than having a distorted view of God. In other words, it matters what you know about God. It matters on the heart level about how you feel about God. It matters on the heart level about how you feel about yourself. It matters on the heart level how you feel about others. And being able to receive God as Father is just the beginning of being able to love Him the right way, Love others the right way and love ourselves the right way. And until we love ourselves, we'll never be able to love anybody else except and including God. Now, the Bible says we love God because He first. So we have to be able to receive love from God in order to reciprocate that love back to God. Does that make sense? But when you're wounded, whether it's a father wound or rejection or abandonment or whatever that may be, It makes it impossible for you to be able to receive love. You know, you theologically know that God loves you, right? But the problem is, most people in our churches don't even believe God likes them. It's hard for people to believe that there's a God in heaven that takes pleasure in you. The Bible says that God is mindful of us. You know what that means? That God's mind is full of you. What's on God's mind? You are. His mind is full of you but it's almost like it's too good to be true. Well, listen, if the gospel isn't too good to be true, then it's not the gospel. I'm trying to move on. Now, how do we get healed from this? You guys believe in healing, right? Healing's important. Sometimes it happens instantaneously, and sometimes it happens progressively. But God doesn't want us just to be healed. He wants us to be made whole. And there's a difference between being healed and made whole. You know the, the story of the ten lepers, right? He, Jesus healed all ten of them. Only one came back and gave praise to God, right? Nine of them, he, 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 they leave. They don't come back to him. The one that does come back to him, Jesus tells him, go and be made whole. W-H-O-L-E. Nine were healed. One was made whole. And that's God's will for your life. He wants you to have wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. So so how do we get healed from a father wound? Three ways. You can go ahead and come to music. I love Matthew 3, verse 17. It's such a powerful verse. It's, It's not very long, but it carries so much power that can change your life. Just this one verse. But in verse 17... God the Father speaking out of heaven at his son's baptism. Now, you know what? Water baptism is a big deal, and it's important for dads to show up. And so, God the Father is showing up for his son's big day. See, that was something that I never experienced. And and I didn't think that was a big deal, but you know what? I wasn't the greatest athlete in the world, but I made all star teams. Y'all went undefeated my senior year pitching, Uh, I went to the state tournament in golf. You know, I I, I, I was okay at sports, but I cannot remember one game that my father ever showed up and watched me play. And that didn't bother me at the time. It it didn't because I I was always the kid that rode with somebody else's family, and that was just normal. My mom worked all kinds of hours, and my dad was just not really involved uh, or even around uh, during those years of my life. But after I got married, and me and Rachel had our first child, the first thing you want to do is you want to bring that baby out, and you want to show that baby to your dad well what happens when you don't have dad when that day happened even though I was so overwhelmed and speechless something was opened up in my heart that day that I didn't know was even there and that was the father wound. so what do you do what do you do That's when I knew there was something that was messed up about me. I knew that I was pretty messed up. But in this verse, God the Father speaks from heaven. He says, and there's a voice that came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Healing begins when you hear the voice of the Father. And the Father wants to speak to you this morning if you will allow him. But a father can speak And that not necessarily be enough. If you've been so close-minded and you've allowed bitterness and anger and grief and and hatred and, and, and whatever feeling associated with that father, if you allow that to take root in your heart, the father can speak, but you won't be able to hear it, recognize it, or even receive it. And when fathers speak, orphan hearts hear. And so when God speaks, the Father speaks, the issue of identity and sonship is settled. Now, identity is another universal need in all of our lives. If I were to ask you who you are, most people would say, well, this is what I do for a living. What you do for a living is not who you are. And because we don't have a sense of identity, and we're not able... To receive fully the the heart of the Father and walk in identity and sonship, we will seek something other than God to meet that need in our life and then spend the rest of our lives going after it, but never obtaining it. You want to hear, you want to have a bunch of men in a room be quiet? You ask them two simple questions. Number one, who are you? Most of them will tell you their job. Second question, how's your relationship with your dad? Super silent. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? And I'm not saying everybody here has that kind of situation. I'm just saying the vast majority do. Sometimes you don't even know it. The next thing is you've got to receive the Father's heart. He said, this is my son, my beloved son, whom I love. You know, God loves you and loves every one of us as if there was only one of us to love. Affirmation is so important because it meets a basic human need. Listen, God the Father speaks out of heaven. He verbally affirms his son. This is my son whom I love. If you've never been verbally affirmed by a father, you're wounded. If Jesus needed to hear his Father in heaven verbally speak affirmation into his life, who are you and I to think we don't? You know, again, children teach a lot about God, right? I'll never forget when our first child was born. It taught me so much about the love of God when Rachel had Jessa and they brought her to me I remember looking going wow I've never known love like this you know it was like a chamber of my heart was open that didn't exist before that child brought that out of my heart I didn't even know it was there but I've got five then Leah was born I went wow I've never known love like this it's like a chamber of my heart and then came Bella and Josiah and Jonah and I love them all just the same even though they're all different in their own way why? because that's the way God loves us there's no one on earth like you there's over 8 million people and nobody has the same fingerprint as you nobody has the same DNA as you nobody has the same retina in your eye as you do you're fearfully and wonderfully made and you know what when you were born God was expecting you to be born but when you were born God goes wow affirmation the last thing is we need to embrace the father's acceptance said this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased now think about that that one statement Jesus received his identity this is my son that's important he received affirmation whom I love he received acceptance and whom I'm well pleased now can anybody tell me what Jesus had done in ministry up to that point in his life nothing hadn't performed one miracle hadn't turned the water into wine hadn't cleansed any lepers hadn't raised the dead hadn't healed the sick he'd done nothing what what does that tell us? that tells us there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less that one one statement alone can radically change your life if you don't tune out what the Holy Spirit's saying Identity, acceptance, affirmation. All of that one statement. And he wanted Jesus to be fully secure. That you don't have to earn my love. You don't have to strive for my love. You you don't have to work for it. But yet there's so many people in our churches that work themselves to death. Doing God's work. Trying to earn God's love and favor. When it's already been provided. Those are all issues that we have to have settled Or we'll spend the rest of our life wasting time trying to find it in something else other than God. Stand with me if you don't.